We come again to our new series, To the Promised Land. It's not the promised land, it's to the promised land. And so you'll see on that picture, on that slide, um, there's a road and the promised land's there. We're not there at the promised land, we're going to the promised land. And that's the journey we have of um, God's people. They're heading there, they're not there yet. What is God doing in this time? He is preparing them for the promised land. And today's story in Exodus uh, 15, 22 to 7, that Ali just read for us, it is a story of bitterness, of bitter waters. And um, how do you like your water generally? Uh, do you like your water from the tap, room temperature, cool, <laughs> sparkling, sparkling, soda water? I like soda water. Um, soda water works for me. Um, this might sound a bit strange because um, it sort of goes against the story a little bit, but I actually like to add a bit of bitterness to my water. So there's a bit of lime in here. Uh, so limes and lemons, they're both sour, but limes are a little bit bitter as well. So I enjoy a bit of bitter in my water. But clearly, clearly for the Israelites, the bitterness in this water made made it undrinkable. It made it undrinkable. In this story, to understand it properly, um, you need to think about it in, uh, together with the two stories that follow. Um, and so in the next two stories, there's a story about a lack of food. And then it comes back to water again. And what's common to each of these stories is the grumbling and the complaining of God's people. Now, the temptation would be to focus on that. The temptation would be to go, well, what we need to do is learn how not, not to complain and not to grumble. Now, there are um, many stories that we might call the desert or the wilderness stories. This is God's people before they enter the promised land. And when, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, people are reflecting on this time, there are stories that are not only negative about God's people complaining, but they're also positive stories. So people reflect back on the wanderings and the wilderness time of God's people, and what they see is God's graciousness and God's faithfulness that God provided for his people in this time, that he was there for them. So you see both of those ideas in the reflections, both in the rest of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, positive and negative stories. The danger for us would be simply to focus on the complaining of God's people. We would miss that, remember, this is the infancy stage of the relationship between God and his people. And in this stage, God is revealing who he is. If we remember... Last week I showed you some slides. Um, there was the story in Genesis. It begins with God with his people in the garden. But then as people decide for themselves that they will decide what's right and wrong, they will decide their purpose in life. That's a reversal. They're the creature, but they're taking the place of the creator. And that's a reversal. And so what happens is they enter the world apart from God. And then there is a real reversal. Things become disordered. 
There's chaos, there's oppression, there's confusion, there's brokenness. And there's a reversal of what God intended. And so then there's people in the world apart from God. And, and as we see the story unfold, a nation is created, but they're oppressed in Egypt. This is God's chosen people through whom blessing will come to the world. But God, through the waters, saves them. We heard that last week. In chapter 14 of Exodus, God parts the seas and they walk through. In chapter 15, which we looked at yesterday, they sing about that victory. And what we see is the beginning of God revealing what life will be like with him. Because things have gone out of order. They've been messed up. But God is about to put it right through his people, but they need to know him. This promise of this land where there will be freedom and rest, this promised land, the ideas and the experience and the reality of freedom and rest apart from God does not make sense. He is the source of those things. And so this is to the promised land with God. So who is God? He's making himself known. And in the second part of our story, after the bitter waters are made fit to be drunk, God makes this amazing revelation that he is the God who heals. And so I suggest that the primary focus of this story is not simply the complaining. We will look at that for a moment and the grumbling. But the primary focus is the revelation of God. And how does he make himself known? He is the Lord who heals you. If they are to journey to the promised land and to enter it, they need to know they go with the God who heals. But what's the connection between the bitter water, that's the beginning of the story, and the Lord who heals? Anyone reading it ought to immediately, and we sometimes lose these skills. I've got uh, kids in primary school, they have comprehension exercises. This is a basic comprehension exercise. If you read this story, it's talking about bitter waters and then they're made all right. And then all of a sudden there's this strange shift in the story that almost, it's like, where does that come from? And how does the first part connect to the second part? In the middle of verse uh, 25, it says, after the waters were made um, fit to be drunk, it says, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. It just sort of shifts and it's like, what, what happened? The waters were made good, but now there's some sort of test. And, and, and then as the verses go on, he then reveals that he's the Lord who heals. Um, how do those two parts connect? Well, let's think about it for a moment. There were three days without water. Then they find water. Yay. But no, the water's too bitter to drink. Um, that's, that's a slight wicked twist, isn't it? They're, they're, they're dehydrated. They've been traveling in the desert, in the wilderness, for three days without water. They find water, but the water's too bitter to drink. And then the people begin to grumble. Now, as they grumble, um, so we see that in verse um, 24. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And... Here, we're tempted, we're very tempted to go, hang on a minute, it was only three days ago that their mighty God parted the seas. 
And, and we think to ourselves, well, if I'd seen a miracle like that, I don't think I'd be complaining three days later. They sang about it. Remember there was a song, the song of Moses and Miriam, and the Israelites sang of their mighty saviour, their, their, their warrior saviour. They sang about this God. And they sang about this God who was bent on intimacy with them. A sanctuary establishing God is the phrase I used. And all that means is that God is bent on intimacy. That God is going to establish a sanctuary for himself. And we talked about that. That the sanctuary was first the tent, the tabernacle. Then it was the temple. Then it was Jesus. And then it was us. That God by his spirit was going to dwell in us. And he's going to make us a dwelling for himself. So God has revealed himself as their warrior saviour. He's revealed himself as one who is bent on intimacy with them. Three days later, they're grumbling that this God somehow can't provide for their thirst. And we're tempted to judge them. But I want to pause and I want to understand, and I think it's important to stop and understand pain, to understand trauma in our lives. We can be quick to judge at times. Because there is something about pain that that can sometimes look immature. See, when we're immature, and I don't mean to use that word in the critical sense that we sometimes use it, I'm just saying that we're all in a stage of maturation. We're all maturing. We're all growing. And so uh, it, it doesn't matter where we are on the scale, we're always in a place of being in some state or in some way, in some immature state, moving to a more mature state. And I'm saying when we're immature, bitterness or the bitterness of life can narrow our perspective. Uh, A simple example. Um, We've either experienced this or seen this happen. A child falls over and they are in pain and they are inconsolable. Their perspective has narrowed. All they know is the pain they're feeling. It's a very egocentric moment. It is all about the pain. They they can't see the person trying to comfort them. They can't see that this pain will subside. Just hold on. They can't see... um, I don't know if people try to distract their kids with, here's a lollipop, here's an icy pole. I'm not judging your parenting. Do what you need to do. But... In that moment, the child, all the child knows is their pain. We've all seen that. Pain narrows our perspective. And we might be quick to judge, but but let's go a little bit deeper than that, that example. And let's talk about trauma. Some people's pains are very deep. Trauma is an intense kind of pain of experience, physical, emotional, mental. What examples can we think of? What about a whole people or peoples, indigenous peoples of different lands or countries? What kinds of traumas have they experienced? And and that's not just an individual, that's a whole people or group of people who've experienced great trauma. That's just like the Israelites. Think about that. 400 years of slavery. I think that's trauma. 400 years of slavery. Waiting. What have they experienced? 
What other kinds of trauma? Abuse. And abuse comes in all sorts of forms and ways. I'm conscious I'm using some very sensitive examples. I trust and pray that as God reveals himself through this message, you might know comfort and healing. Abuse, oppression, sickness, injury, health issues, significant loss. We all experience pain and the bitterness of life in some shape, way and form. And sometimes when they're deep and prolonged, yes, our perspective can narrow. And not only that, sometimes smaller pains are simply a trigger for the trauma that we're living with. Sometimes simple pains or simple struggles are just a reminder of the, we we experience some minor injustice and it reminds us of the deep injustice that's occurred to us. Or there's a small moment of frustration and it reminds us of the serious setbacks and losses in our life. Or there's a small moment when you feel slighted by another person, but then it reminds you of the abuse and the oppression you've experienced and lived with. Sometimes we need to slow down and not be so quick to judge. We all know and have experienced the bitterness of life. In these three stories, this one of the bitter water, the next one where there's the feeding with manna and quail and the one that after that again which has to do with water, in all these stories there isn't a focus, there isn't even much of a sense of God being upset with the people's complaining and grumbling. We do see that in other parts, but in these set of three stories, that's not the focus. Maybe in the next story, there's one slight hint, but, but not much. You see Moses in the next two stories get annoyed at the people's grumbling, but God just responds. And what he responds with is an amazing revelation each time of who he is and what kind of God he is. So don't get lost in the grumbling of God's people. Watch how God responds. Don't be so quick next time when you meet somebody that you think is complaining or grumbling. Slow down and remember that we are all in the same broken world experiencing the bitterness of life. You don't know what's going on for the other person and in their life. But let's complete this story. So as we move on through the story, as I said, God says something strange. So first he tells Moses what to do. Moses throws the wood into the water. And then the water, it it says in the NIV, he threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. In Hebrew, more literally, the water became sweet or pleasant. And and if you hear that word, what you see is a complete reversal. The water was bitter, now it's sweet. This is not just a God who heals. What we're talking about is a God of reversals. Remember, things have been disordered because of the reversal that took place. The creator created us with good intentions and good purposes. He alone can tell us what's right and wrong. He alone can tell us the purpose and meaning for our lives. When we decide what's right and wrong, when we decide what our purpose and meaning is in life. That's a reversal. And in that reversal, God gives us over to that. And the world is now disordered. But God is the God of reversals. He's putting things right again. 
The bitter is made sweet. That gives us a clue to how to understand the connecting part of how God is working, what he's about to say to them. So then he says, Then the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Let me read that again. That's Exodus 15, 26. God said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now I'm going to leave the first part of that where he talks about decrees and instructions and commands. I'm going to look at that next week. But I want to focus on the second part of what he says. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, some of us, um, as we read quite critically, we might jump on that, uh, particularly in the time of a pandemic, and we hear these words that I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. What is this? Our God brought diseases on the Egyptians? Diseases, illnesses, sicknesses, viruses? What, what sort of God is this? Whenever we come to passages of judgment, I always have to sort of just help us. And so if this sounds repeated to you, I, uh, I will have to continuously repeat this. Every time we come to a passive, passage of judgment, we need to think of it in a couple of different ways. We can think of it very actively, that God actively brings this judgment, or that there is a passive sense in which we experience the consequences of our actions sometimes. And, and sometimes the scriptures uh, echo both of those ideas. And how do we understand that? Well, if you remember that when we chose to do what was right and wrong, we could think of that as God sending us out of the garden or we could think of that as God taking away his hand and saying, okay, if you want, okay, you, you want to head out? Let me pack your bags, here you go. Sometimes God seconds our motion. We make the choice that this is what we want to do and God says, okay, let me help you. But he doesn't simply bring things upon us. Sometimes he allows us to experience these things. Remember for the Egyptians, they were living in a world apart from God. They were oppressing and acting wickedly. They were give, being given an opportunity, even through the plagues and the wonders that Moses was performing, they were being given an opportunity to see who really was God. So the Egyptians worshipped the, the God of water. And who has power over the water? This life-giving, the river Nile, the life-giving water of Egypt is turned into blood. Who really is in control? They worship the God of the sun. And then their, their land is in darkness. Who's really God? They had an opportunity to acknowledge who truly was God. But that would mean giving up their idea of what is right or wrong. That would mean giving up their slaves. That would mean choosing to live a different way. And so sometimes we experience, I guess, in a sense, it's, it's when we try to have 
the kind of life we want, but apart from God. It's like God is the source of all goodness, all love, all justice, all that's right. Those things don't exist apart from God. And then we experience that. And so he says, I won't bring on you the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God's purposes, God's great and ultimate purpose is for healing and for wholeness. He's the God who heals. When we mature, when we mature, when we begin to mature, bitterness or the bitterness of life can open to us a heavenly perspective. When we mature, the bitterness of life can open to us a heavenly perspective. So when I talked about immaturity sometimes, our pain narrows our focus. Well, as we grow, as we mature, it's possible for our perspective to widen. So I might be in pain, but maybe that's not all there is. Maybe I can take hold of that ice pack that's been given to me. Maybe I recognise that the pain is subsiding. Maybe I recognise there are other things going on. And sometimes, as our perspective widens, we might find the very remedy for our malady, the very remedy for whatever's causing our problem, our pain, our struggle. As our perspective widens, we might even notice the God who heals. We might even notice that the Lord is with us. He's not far. We might even notice that in our thirst, God is there. The same God who parted the waters can provide water. This is the God who heals. He's not a wicked God. He's not a God who just arbitrary passes out judgment. He's a God who loves and heals. There were many servants uh, of the Lord Jesus who came to have this heavenly perspective, a wider perspective. In the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, they started to see that God could use bitterness and suffering for their maturing, for their growth. And this was of far greater worth. It could help them to learn how to trust God more. That their difficulties were an opportunity to learn how to trust God more. How could we know that our trust is even real of God? If everything's fine, that's easy to say that we trust God. Do we really trust him? I mean, James says something like, you know, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why does James say that? James, we believe, was um, the, right, the writer, we believe, is Jesus' brother. Why does he say that? Well, he says it's so that we might become mature, lacking nothing. Um, Peter one of Jesus' disciples, recognises that the people have been experiencing great trials and and difficulties. And he says, "But, but rejoice in this because this is proving your faith. It's proving your faith. And he says this is worth more than gold. His perspective is wider. He has this heavenly perspective of God preparing us, making us fit for heaven, fit for the promised land. God is trying to make his people fit for the promised land. If they enter the promised land, 
and they still have not drawn close to God, they will not actually draw into the promises that God has for them in the promised land. If it's to be a land of freedom, a land of blessing, a land of healing, it has to be with God. If they try to enter into the land and then try to live apart from God, they'll end up in the same situation, oppressed again, which is what we know happens in the Old Testament. How do we learn to go on with God? The Lord is ultimately about reversing the bitterness of life. I, I'm trying to think of, and uh, this morning I was just trying to think, how, do, how, how can this be more than a sermon? Well, I sometimes try to think, how can I learn to live in the presence of God more constantly? That it's not just when somebody's preaching, not just when the song's on, not just when it's a Sunday. How can I live moment by moment in the presence of the God who reveals himself as my warrior saviour, who reveals himself as the God who's keen and bent on intimacy with me, as the God who heals me? How can I live in this constant idea? I try to find anchors. You might have anchors, things that are, are, are things you could do daily. Every time I'm outside... The sky is an anchor for me. I look up at the sky, the expanse of the sky, and I remember God. Sometimes it's worship music as an anchor. Sometimes, well, maybe water. Maybe the next time you drink a nice, cool, fresh glass of water. Sometimes people use meals as they give thanks before they eat. That can be a moment where you pause. That's right, God is with us. God is our provider. God heals. Do you want to know one of the most ultimate of anchors? And you will experience it on a daily basis so it can quite readily anchor you and remind you that God is present. Bitterness. The bitterness of life the pain and sorrow, the struggle you experience and are reminded of, if you learnt that that could be an anchor for reminding you that God, your God, is the Lord who heals, that every time you're frustrated, every time something goes wrong, you're reminded, hang on, God is with me. God is with his people in the desert and he's going to take them by the hand and bring them into the promised land. He's with you. He's with me. He's with us every day. And he is the Lord who heals. We started talking about water. Let me finish with water. Jesus says in John 7, 37 to 38, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So first he says, if you're thirsty, come to him. He'll be the source of satisfying whatever's going wrong. But then he says something more. The promise goes deeper. He says, if you trust in him, rivers of living water will flow from within you. The very next verse tells us what those rivers of living water are. It's the Holy Spirit, the, script, the next verse says. The Holy Spirit. 
coming to live in us, remember? The sanctuary establishing God. God wants to dwell in us. And he says, let me heal you even as you wrestle in your pain. Let me heal you even as you wrestle with your challenges and difficulties and traumas. Let me heal you. I'm right here. I'm right with you. In your pain, don't let it so narrow your focus that you can't, in that moment, at the same time, acknowledge God's presence. It's a healing presence. And God wants this for his people. They have been traumatized. 400 years of slavery. If they are not healed, they will find remedies in other ways. He wants to be their water, their life-giving water, the one that satisfies, the one that heals, and he wants that for you and for me. Look to him. Come to him. Amen.